And we're so glad you're tuning in today, and we're glad that you're here in person with us as well. I believe you're going to receive a good word from the Lord this morning. Are you expecting to receive something good? Good. Amen. I don't know if you noticed, I have my little 4th of July American flag pin on today. Fun fact about your pastor. I used to be 100% completely against nationalism. Fun fact for you. And uh, I, 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 I hated anything political. I hated anything. Um, I didn't hate America. I loved living here. I just did not like showing that I lived here. And I didn't wear anything red, white, and blue. Never, ever celebrated the flags. Never did anything like that for a short time in my life. Um, and then the Lord, through many people, just showed me how stupid I was being, if I'm being blunt, and how ignorant and dumb um, I was being. And, and so little by little, I started incorporating more things into my life. I would post things on 4th of July. And then I'd start buying t-shirts that might have red, white, and blue on them. And now I'm just going all out. I have my pin right here. If you see me on 4th of July, you're going to see what I'm wearing. And uh, I love this nation. I love this country and the freedoms that we have in this country. Uh, if you don't like being American, there's a lot of countries that you can go to. And I'll pay for your one-way trip to leave if you don't want to be in America anymore. It's a great country, and we take things for granted um, living here. So I believe that, that we are blessed and that we were founded on good, godly principles. I mean, I, mean, I was just thinking about this the other day, how mankind has literally been the most dominant being on the earth for centuries. There's been dinosaurs, if you believe in those or not. There's been dinosaurs, tigers, lions, bears, every, anything you can think of. Every animal has lived on this planet at one point or another. Yet we're the only ones who are still here and not extinct. We're the only ones who are civilized. We're the only ones who are here that, that make nations, that make democracies, that, that are able to, to, to live in dominance, even with all these other animals. And yet there's other countries That'll, that'll have dominance. And then they'll establish that one leader, that one dictator, that one communist country that, that everyone fears because of that one person. Yet America came and conquered, and we have now people, and the per first people that ever established the, the laws and the governance of America said, we don't want one person in power. We want to make sure there's checks and balances making sure that not a single person can rule and be a dictator over this entire nation. Now, think about that versus all the other countries. How come we're one of the only countries that has that and everyone else has that one leader, that dictator that no one can ever overthrow? You see, it's things like that that make me feel so appreciative that we live here where one person said, nope, we're not going to have one single leader. We're going to have checks and balances, making sure this nation does not become like those communist countries elsewhere. And that's a blessing in itself right there. So we ought to be thankful for the place that we live in. Can I get into the word now, or do you guys want me to keep talking about this? <laughs> Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Um, we've been in a series uh, entitled Harnessing Your Emotions for a little bit, and we just ended a part about being joyful, how to remain joyful in a negative world. And so we're going to jump back into uh, just the emotions of people, um, and specifically how we have control over our emotions, regardless of what you think, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what someone's told you, you and I have control over our emotions. In Matthew chapter 16, it's a story about Jesus, and um, they're, 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 it's a great story about Jesus going up into this mountain, or going up into a hill, and he takes some of his disciples to go with him to go pray. He tells them, uh, or his disciples fall asleep, and then they wake up, and Jesus is glowing, He's glowing on a mountaintop, and his, his robe and everything about him is just shining. And then there are two men appear out of nowhere, and it's an amazing sight. It's called the Transfiguration of Jesus, and it starts here in verse 13. I'm sorry, this is the wrong—I'll be telling you that one a little bit. I jumped ahead of myself. 
This says, when Jesus came into the regions of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? The Son of Man? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And so he said to them, But who do you say that I am? You know, that's a question Jesus is asking every single one of us today. He's asking you, yeah, yeah, Pastor Matthew said this about me, but who do you say I am? Who am I to you? Who am I personally to you? And we have to make a decision on what to say. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So what just happened? Peter had a revelation knowledge. Now, we just talked about this the other day, that last week, about the hardness of the heart. Remember that? The hardness of the heart and how when you have a hardened heart, it keeps you from seeing revelation from God's word. It keeps you from seeing what God's trying to download into your heart when you have a hardened heart. So we have to have enlightened heart. We need to have hearts that are soft, hearts that are open to receive from the Lord. And right here, Peter has this epiphany. He has this moment where he's received something from the Lord because Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, so-and-so didn't say this about me. You received this from the Holy Spirit specifically. And then he says this, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock will, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So on this rock, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. What some religious, religion has done is they've taken this and they've said, on this rock, Peter, St. Peter, we're going to build the church on the back of Peter. And they've misunderstood what Jesus was talking about, thinking that Peter is this great man, and now we're going to pretty much worship Peter, pray to Peter, because Jesus said, on Peter, on the rock, Peter in the Greek means rock, so we'll worship Peter. But if you break it down, it's Jesus, when he's saying, on this rock, that word rock versus the Peter word rock are two different words. Peter, if you look at the Greek translation, means little rock. The rock that Jesus said that he'd build the church on was the boulder or the cornerstone or the rock that can't be moved. So in other words, he wasn't saying on Peter, I'm going to build the church. On this big rock, I'm going to build the church. What was the rock? The revelation of Jesus. This revelation that Peter had about who Jesus was. You are the Christ, son of the living God. And on that revelation, Jesus was going to build his church. Why is this important about our emotions? We're going to get into it. But Peter has this amazing, amazing revelation about Jesus that no one else has ever told him, that Jesus hasn't heard from anybody else. It was an amazing moment. He, and Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should not tell anybody that Jesus was the Christ. And then it goes on to say in verse 21, from that time on, he began to show his disciples the things that are going to come to pass, that he's going to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him. He said, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, 
For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. We'll stop there for a second. He says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus was not calling Peter Satan. He was calling the influence behind what Peter said Satan. You know, there, there comes a point in every Christian's life where we need to understand we're not wrestling flesh and blood. We're wrestling things behind flesh and blood. We're fighting things that are behind the mask of human form. The things that are principalities of the air, the, the darkness of this world, the, the evil things that the devil's trying to do, that's what we're fighting. We're not fighting people. We're fighting the things behind the people. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. You, do, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. But just a moment ago, Jesus literally said that you have not heard this from men, but from my, my father who is in heaven, he showed you these things. So literally just a moment ago, Peter was mindful of his father in heaven because that's who told him who Jesus was, not the men of the world. But then a moment later, Peter blur blurts out this thing and Jesus says, you're an offense to me for you're not mindful of the things of God, you're mindful of the things of men. What happened? What happened? Anyone take a wild guess? What happened? His emotions. His emotions flared up. Anybody ever had your nose flare up because you ate something spicy? Well, that's what happened to Peter. Something happened, and his emotions flared up. And he felt like he couldn't do nothing about it. He just had to say something. He had to, to blurt out a word. And it, I love that, the, that Matthew puts this in here. That Peter rebuking Jesus. Rebuking him. Imagine rebuking Jesus. Far be it from me, Lord. That's never going to happen. Mm. Jesus was predicting his death. He was, I mean, th these are the things that, that he knew was going to happen. He was prophesied about. He knew he had to be sacrificed and, and die on a cross and, and risen on the third day. He knew... All of these things had to come to pass. So he was just sharing what the Holy Spirit, God bless America, happy 4th of July, guys. <laughs> he was just sharing with them what was already prophesied about. Wasn't anything new? Wasn't new news? And, and you would think because Peter had the revelation, you are the Christ, then he would know the prophecy of the Christ. That he would be killed and three days later that he would be risen from the dead. That, that the temple that the builders rejected would be destroyed and built three days later. He, he should know that that's going to happen, but he didn't. And so Jesus rebuked him for lashing out. He blew his moment. Here, here Peter was. On cloud nine, oh man, Jesus just said that I had revelation, that he's going to build the church on me. Man, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Then a few more steps down the road, Jesus is talking nonsense to him. And he says, far be it from me, Jesus, that's never going to happen to you. If I have anything to do with it, Lord, not going to happen. There's another time that Jesus, that, that Peter does this too. Do you guys remember when he does it? The night of his crucifixion, Jesus says, there's one of you who's going to betray me, and he's going to deny me three times. And Peter says, far be it from me, I will die for you, Lord. And he says, Peter, you're the one who's going to deny me. You're the one. And literally hours later, there's Peter. I never knew the man. I don't know him. Violently, he says, I never knew this guy. You see, if we're not careful, we will let emotions dictate our life instead of truth dictating our life. We, we won't let God's word tell us what's true. We will let what our emotions say what's true. That's a very dangerous, dangerous road to go down because emotions lie to you. And not just that, but emotions change all the time, all the time. 
I'll give you an example. We were at Pismo Beach this week, and we were having a great time. Had my, my parents, had my in-laws, had our baby. It was the first baby trip that we had with him at the beach. And we were eating outside at this restaurant that we all like and love, and we've eaten there many times, and we're having a good time. And all of a sudden, at the end of our meal, splatter hits the table. And we're looking at everything, and we're looking around, and these dumb seagulls, man, <laughs> they dropped a bomb on us. And just like that, what happened? Emotions. And thankfully, most of us were done eating. I can't imagine what would have happened if that just happened when we started eating. But just like that, emotions go, they come, they go, they're here, they change, they stay, they leave. They're always changing all the time. I can remember a time where when, when I was a lot younger and, and I was more immature and I liked girls and these girls didn't like me back and one moment I was so happy the next moment I was sad and one moment I was on ecstatic and the next moment I was depressed and I was up and down like a yo-yo. And even going into my, 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 my later years when I out of my teens, going into my 20s, just having to, to learn how to harness them. Because before that, before I learned how to harness them, I was up and down. I was like a roller coaster. And people say that, that life, it, life's up and life's down. You're going to have your up and down moments. You're going to have your mountaintop highs. You're going to have your valley lows. That's normal. But the Bible says, again, if you let your emotions tell you what's true, then that's true. But the Bible says, which is all truth, says that he's the one who brings every mountain down and he exalts every valley, every crooked path he makes straight. So he makes our life nice and level. God makes our life nice and, and easy, nice and straight, nice and level, not up and down like a yo-yo. But what we do is we say our emotions are in control. So one day I'm going to be up here, the next day I'm down there. And then you're diagnosed with bipolar syndrome, and then you have this and that, schizophrenia and this and that. They're all emotional problems. That's all it is. And if you could learn how to reel those emotions in and use them to your advantage... You'll be ahead of most people. You'll be ahead of, of yourself. You'll be ahead than most Christians because you've learned how to harness your emotions. Don't be like Peter. What did Peter do? He blurted the moment he didn't like what he was hearing. You ever done that before? You ever just started talking for no reason? You ever just start saying things just because you didn't like what was being said? So you felt like in all of your infinite wisdom that you had to say something? There's a, one of my, my spiritual fathers, his name is Jeremy. He, he, has, he has this idea for a shirt. And I, I almost, I've almost made this and sent it to him because I can make t-shirts. But the shirt said, people who know so little shouldn't talk so much. I think it's a shirt that a lot of us should wear. People who know so little should not talk so much. And that's so true because what Jesus was talking about, it's evident Peter knew nothing about. Peter had no clue what Jesus was talking about, so he rebuked him. But if Peter knew, if Peter was familiar with the prophecy of Jesus, with the prophetic word of his crucifixion, maybe it would have gone a different direction. But don't be like Peter and blurt out everything that comes to mind when you're not feeling good. Psalm chapter 141 in the King James, it says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. You know what the word keep means? Guard. Guard them. Protect them. Keep things in that don't belong out and keep things out that don't belong in. That's what that means. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Why is it important that we, we set a watch before our own mouths? Because we'll blurt things out that we don't mean. 
You ever said something in the heat of the moment and like 10 minutes later you had to apologize for what you just said? The heat of the moment. Saying things that you don't actually mean, but you felt that way, so you have to say it. Man, I, I've, I've done that many times. And uh, it's, not, it's not fun. It's not fun to say it, and it's not fun to apologize for it after, is it? It's kind of embarrassing. It's kind of humiliating having to retract those words that you said because you simply were not thinking. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Death and life are the, in the power of the tongue. And those that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life. Not death, neutral, and then life. It's either death or life. So you're either speaking one of two things. So which one do you want to speak? When we're quick to speak and slow to actually listen and think, we'll start speaking death because we don't know any better. We've been trained to constantly speak death by our upbringing, not, not because of your parents, but just because of the world. The upbringing of the world, hearing what other people say, hearing the negativity of the world. Did you know the world is actually already headed to danger? It's already headed to destruction, death, and hell. That's, that's the, the autopilot that the world is already heading towards. And so if you've been grown up in that environment, you're naturally going to speak what you've heard. You're naturally going to start saying things that you're accustomed to. Mm. We're all citizens in Christ. The Bible says that God's translated us, or in other words, he's adopted us. From, he's taken us from one place, and he's moved us into a new place. He's taken us from the world, and he's moved us into his kingdom, into his family. And we're not citizens of the earth. We're citizens of heaven. I'm a pilgrim on this earth. I am, I'm a citizen of heaven. I said I love my country. I do. I love my country so much. The, the, the flag, I'm very proud to fly it at my house. But did you know what? I don't pledge my allegiance to this country. I pledge my allegiance to God. I pledge my allegiance to my heavenly citizenship. Not to this place, because tomorrow Jesus could come. And I'm no longer a citizen here. I'm no longer, I'm just visiting here. I love the country. I love the people. But I'm a visitor. We're all visitors. I salute those who fought for our country. I, I respect those who, who are, are currently serving the country, who, people who are making this country great. Absolutely. But I know my citizenship is from a different place. I don't belong here. You don't belong here. But when you understand that you're a new citizen in a new place, you'll start learning the language of that new place. If I, there's a while ago where I was really into um, Asian culture. I liked, I, I just liked their culture. I liked their, the respect that they had for their elders and the cleanliness of them and a lot, a lot of other different things. I love their language, I, specifically Korean. I, I used to love listening to Korean people talking, and, and I wanted to learn that language. So little by little, I started learning. I wanted to go visit that place. And when you actually want to go to a new country to live in a new place, you want to learn the culture. You want to learn the language, right? You'd be ineffective if you went to another country without learning the language. You'd be confused the whole time. You wouldn't know what to do. So the right thing to do is when you go to a new country is to learn the language of that country. Correct? As citizens of heaven, when God adopted us and brought us out of the world and into his kingdom, it is incorrect for us to stay talking our old citizenship. We, we need to learn the new language. The perfect example, and I'm sorry, I'm Mexican, so I can say this. All the Mexicans that come to the, this country who never learn English, they have the hardest time communicating with people because they're stuck speaking the other culture's language. If they learned English, it'd be easier. Instead of forcing everyone to learn Spanish, it's easier for the visitors to learn English, right? Nothing against them. That's just how they want to live here. I and mean, that's fine, but it's going to be confusing for them because they don't know 
what anybody's saying because they don't speak English. And when we go and we're transferred from this place to, to the citizenship of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, we need to learn that language. And that language does not speak death. That language does not speak curses. That language does not speak negativity. The kingdom of heaven and its citizenship speaks positivity. It speaks life. Mm. We need to learn a new language, church. Put Proverbs chapter 18, verse uh, 21 back on there. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The one before that said, keep the door of my lips. Your mouth is the gateway to life or death, to blessings or cursings. God said in Deuteronomy, I have set before you life or death, blessings, cursings. Therefore, choose life. He gave you the answer. Choose life. How do you choose life? Start speaking it first. Start watching what's coming out of your mouth when those emotions flare up, because they will. Even when you've controlled your emotions, even when you've learned how to harness them, they're still going to flare up. You just know how to control it. Emotions aren't bad. Emotions are a good thing. God created us with emotions. But it's, it's for us to understand when to use those emotions appropriately. The Bible says... To be angry, but do not sin. In other words, you can be angry. As your pastor, I'm telling you, it's okay to be angry. Just don't sin when you're angry. It's okay to be mad at something. Just don't sin while you're mad. It is totally okay. You probably have never heard that before. But the Bible wasn't saying that when you're, you're angry, you're sinning, so don't be angry, so don't sin. That's not what it was saying. It's saying, be angry, but don't sin. Jesus was angry many times. He called the Pharisees broods of vipers, hypocrites, dead man bones. You think that's not angry? Jesus was angry, Jesus was compassionate, he was caring, he was loving, and he knew how to use the right emotions for the right setting. See, love's not an emotion. Love is a choice. Love's a lifestyle. Because through Jesus' life, you'll read many times that he went to the temple, he saw them doing corrupt things in the temple, he flipped the tables. He was angry, but everything he did, he did out of love and compassion. So therefore, it's possible to be loving and angry at the same time. Because love is not an emotion, it's a a lifestyle. Being angry is the emotion. And if you, I, I love my wife so much, I love my son so much, that if anyone ever offends them, guess what's gonna happen with me? I'm going to be angry because I love my wife. I love my son. And out of my love for them, anything that offends them offends me. Now, if I sin while I'm offended, that's wrong. But I'm allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be angry. And not to be angry at the people, but the influence behind the people. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He's talking to Satan. He's talking to the person behind Peter, the person that's influencing Peter's rebuke. Remember that. So whenever someone comes against your family that you love, they can come against me all that they want. I don't care. That won't offend me. But when they go against people that I love, I'll get angry. But if I attack the person, I'm wrong. If I start yelling at the person, if I start chewing them out and cussing them out and telling them that they're no good, dirty, rotten sinner, I'm in the wrong. I don't care what they did to your family. That's wrong. But you be angry at the influence behind the person. You start telling the devil exactly where to go, just like Jesus did. You say, you get behind me, Satan. You get behind me. You get to the, go to your rightful spot at the bottom of my shoe. But you don't tell the people that. You tell the, pe- the, the influence behind the people. 
We don't wrestle flesh and blood. Principalities. Thank you, Lord. In Romans chapter 19, verse 5, the Bible says this. It says, Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. Now, what does he mean by that? He's meaning the person, I'm sorry, did I say Romans chapter 19? Romans chapter 10. There is no chapter 19. It's a typo. Romans chapter 10 says, Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. In other words, if you, if you keep doing the, the things of the law, you're going to have to keep doing it over and over and over and over again to be justified by the law, which will never be justified. It's a, it's a never-ending, repeating cycle. The man who does these things will have to live by these things. That's what he's talking about. Then he says, but the righteousness of faith speaks this way. So this tells me one thing. Faith speaks. Amen? Amen. Faith speaks. And this is what it says. says, The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So Paul was saying, don't say who is to ascend into heaven or who will descend into the abyss. Matthew, I've never said that in my entire life. I think I'm good, right? But what's he actually saying? If you look at it, we've all said this before. Lord, if you just come down and touch me, if you just send your healing hand and touch me, your humble servant, then I'll be healed. You've just asked God to come down to the earth, perform a miracle that Jesus already did on the cross. So Paul's saying, don't don't ask Jesus to come back down and die on the cross for you again, because he already did that. And then don't ask him to raise from the dead and ascend to heaven, because he also already did that. In other words, believe what he did and receive what he gave. When Jesus said it is finished, he said it's finished. And he meant it's finished. What was finished? All of the work. All of the, the, all of the things that you had to do for God to love you and all the things that you, you, you didn't have to do in order for God to, to, to fellowship with you. All of the work that we had to do because of the law was finished. Everything. And because of that, in Deuteronomy, the Bible says that if we obeyed the law perfectly, then we are entitled to blessing. But if we miss, even in one point, we're entitled to cursing, curses. So all of that work is finished. And guess what? Because Jesus did it perfectly, which one are we entitled to? The blessings. So when Jesus said it's finished, it's finished. Believe that it was finished receive the finished work of the cross, and walk in it. So that's what he's saying. Don't ask, don't ask him to come back on the cross for you, because he's not. He, he's, he's sitting comfortably up in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And, and you have no right to tell him to move from that spot. Amen? He already did that. He's comfy, and he's watching everything going on down here. All right? But then it says this. He says, so what does it say? It doesn't say that. It says this, the word is near you, even in your mouth. That is the word of faith, which we preach. Uh-oh, there's the word of faith group. The word of faith group again. You know, if you're not speaking faith with your words, what are you doing? You're speaking doubt. If you're not speaking with faith, you are speaking with doubt. Again, the the proverb said, death and life are in the power of your tongue. 
death and life. There's only two options, one or the other. I think it applies to everything else. If I'm not speaking faith, I have to be speaking doubt. There's no neutral. There's no in-between. There's not a little bit of faith and a little bit of doubt. It's either faith or it's doubt. You cannot have 98% faith and 2% doubt because the 2% doubt corrupts the 98% faith. Does that make sense? But you can have 2% faith and no doubt because the faith that works is the, the, Jesus said, is the faith of the mustard seed. That's all you need is a little bit of faith. You just need to believe with zero doubt and whatever you said will come to pass. But faith speaks. Faith speaks. He says, again in verse 8, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Thank you, Lord. So that's the word of faith right there. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart... One believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With the heart, one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. If it, if it requires you to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth, to become saved, which is the greatest miracle you could ever believe for, why wouldn't any other miracle or any other thing in your life require the same thing? Think about that. I don't care if, I, I do care, but compared to salvation, I don't care what you're he healed from. I don't care how much you're prospering. I don't care how much you're you're. you're striving and you're in excellence and you're just in good health. I don't care about none of that stuff if you're not saved. Amen? And if the Bible says in order for you to be saved, you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. If that's what it takes to be saved, then why don't we think healing requires that as well? That you believe in your heart Confess with your mouth. That if you're dealing with something and you sit there and you can believe in your heart, I am healed by the blood of Jesus, that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells and lives in me and will quicken, bring to life my mortal body, that as he is, so are we in this world. If you believe that in your heart and confess that with your mouth, why don't we think that's the way to go? Why do we think that, oh man, hopefully I get healed. Hopefully this happens. If God just so happens to hear my prayer and touch me with his outstretched almighty hand, then and only then I'll receive my healing. You've done exactly what Paul said not to do. Because faith speaks and faith speaks the word of God. Faith speaks the word that's near you in your heart and in your mouth. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. You'll receive that salvation. And here's another awesome footnote for you, just for you to, to take home with you. That word saved does not just mean salvation to go to heaven. If you confess with your mouth, you will be saved saved. That word saved, the Greek word sozo, meaning saved from destruction, saved from infirmity, saved from anything on earth that'll cause hell on earth. It's your, your entire being will be saved, not just you being saved and going to heaven. That's the part of it. But the other part of it is saved here on earth too. 
If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, then you will be saved. You'll be protected. You'll be healed. You'll be prosperous. Mm. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Thank you, Lord. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. I love what Jesus says here. This is the brood of vipers I was mentioning earlier. He says Jesus was talking to a bunch of religious people. He said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. So in other words, don't, don't call what's good bad and what's bad good. If it's bad, call it bad. If it's good, call it good. Amen? Amen. He said in verse 34, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart bring forth evil things. But I say to you, for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. I love what the Amplified says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It says, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So you don't just blurt things out to blurt things out. You blurt things out because at some point or another, that was filled in your heart. That was placed there. That was, you, you let that in to your heart. That's what the Bible says, to guard your heart. To keep your heart safe. To keep it pure. Because if not, you'll start speaking things and revealing things about who you actually are. Someone could be a really, really good liar and no one could ever know. But if you listen to them long enough, they'll start to reveal the evil of their heart. If you pay attention and hear them talk over and over again, you'll hear what's actually in their heart. They can deceive people only for a little bit, but those who know how to listen will be able to, to detect the person who's actually false. In Mark chapter 9, this is the story of the transfiguration I mentioned earlier. It says, now after six days... Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain to pray. They went to go pray, and, and Jesus, he told his disciples to pray with him, and um, his disciples ended up falling asleep. I don't know why they didn't listen to Jesus, but they just fell asleep on him. And it says in verse, in verse uh, where are we at? In verse 3, or verse 2, at the end of verse 2, it says, he transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on the earth can whiten them. You ever seen something that white before? I'm not talking about your sock tan. <laughs> Man, Jesus was glowing. He was shining so bright, brighter than any diamond any ruby, any jewel, anything you could ever imagine. He was glowing. And then it says, Elijah appeared to them with Moses. You ever watch Star Wars? And, and at some point in the movie appears this blue, or this blue transparent ghost figure. And it was a Jedi of times past, and he reappeared as a Jedi. Well, that's not what happened here. Moses and Elijah just like appeared. In, in the flesh, not as a ghost, not as a, a transparent figure. He, they just appeared out of thin air. And it's such an incredible thing here, everything that's going on. And then they were talking to Jesus. 
So they were all having this little group discussion, Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. The disciples at first were asleep, and then they woke up, and they saw all this stuff happening. And this is what happened. Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah about his death and crucifixion. He was talking about what was to come, talking about what he had to go through. And, and, and Jesus was pretty much getting insight from Elijah and from Moses about what was going to happen next. And so Peter, oh, Peter, verse 5, then Peter answered, and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, this isn't a question, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. I'm glad we're here, Jesus. It's a good decision. It is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles for you, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And it reveals why he said those things. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. So again, here comes Peter, afraid, looking at all this stuff happening. Jesus is glowing. Elijah and Moses appear out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, Peter stands up and says, it's so good that we're here, Jesus. Let us go build some tabernacles for all three of you guys. We got this. It sounds like a, a good gesture. It sounds like a gesture that's came from the heart. We're going to build you some tabernacles. We want to respect you guys. But at the end of the story, it says that there was a cloud that, that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of that cloud. And it was the voice of God. And it said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Notice a little exclamation point. You think he was whispering that? Or do you think he was yelling that? If you actually study this out, Jesus, it was as if God was, was standing there. The way he said, hear him, is, is pretty close to him saying, shut up. Stop talking. Hear him. And Peter was so emotionally unstable that he just blurted what came to mind because he was afraid. Didn't know what to say because he was afraid. In those moments where fear creeps in, the last thing you need to do is say anything. In fact, when fear creeps in and you don't know what to say, the best thing to do is to shut your mouth. And that's the title of today's message. Shut your mouth. Just keep it closed. Don't say anything. You ever had a mom tell you, if you have nothing good to say, don't say it at all. Don't say anything at all. My mom told me that all the time. But it's true. If you have nothing good to say, keep it closed. Don't let anything come out that doesn't belong out. But don't let anything come in that doesn't belong in either. And when you're pressed and when the enemy is doing things to you, I mean, this, was, this wasn't even the enemy. This was God. This was Jesus and his glory. And, and yet Peter was still afraid. But when the enemy comes your way, and tries to do something in your life to get you into fear. Remember we talked about last week? That fear, when, when, when fear is conceived, it gives birth to something. The only way fear is conceived is when you say something. When the doctor says, this is your report, you have this incurable disease, no one's ever recovered from it. When the doctor says you're, you're, you only have a couple of days to live, when the bank says you're going to have to file for bankruptcy, when any report that comes in your way says something negative, the moment you conceive is when you go, oh my God, we're broke. Oh my God, I can't believe I have this happening to me. I can't believe I'm going to die. My allergies have been acting up. 
When you start to claim those things as yours, you've conceived fear. And James says, once it's conceived, it births something. And when it is full grown, brings forth death. You want to stop that from happening in your life? Stop conceiving. And the way you stop conceiving is to stop speaking. Stop speaking those things that you don't want to happen. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. And when you're pressed, when your emotions are going off the, the hammer, whenever everything's telling you that it's going to fall under, whenever, the, whenever your life looks like it's crumbling, the last thing you need to do is say a word. Keep quiet. Meditate on the Lord. And move on. But don't say a word. There's a great example of this. Jesus, he was in, in, in one of the towns, and he was with his disciples, and, and there was a crowd of people, and um, the religious leaders they dragged this woman, and they caught her in adultery. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I've never, like, caught someone that wasn't in my life in adultery because I don't even know who they are I don't know who their actual spouse is I don't know anything about them so how would I catch someone in adultery unless I knew it or set something up and so these Pharisees they caught this woman in adultery and they dragged her out and they publicly shamed her in front of everyone and keep in mind she was caught in adultery. She, they didn't catch her doing it and then waited a couple of days to expose her. They dragged her out. So she's completely vulnerable, embarrassed. And they tell Jesus, they said, this woman was caught in adultery. The law says, stone her. What do you say? And do you guys remember what Jesus did? The Bible says that Jesus stood there as if he didn't hear them. They said, Jesus, the law says this. What do you say? And Jesus goes. Not a word. Then he goes down on the, on the ground. Starts playing in the dirt. And it, the, the scriptures insinuate that, the, that they kept asking him over and over again. Come on, what do you say, Jesus? The law says this. What do you say? Jesus, the law says this. What do you give us an answer? What does the, what do you say, Jesus? The law says this, and they're pressing him for an answer, looking to catch him with something. And so then Jesus gets up, and you know what he says: "Whoever's without sin, cast the first stone." What Jesus did is what we all should do when we're pressed. If the Holy Spirit doesn't tell you what to say, don't say it. If you're in a moment where you need wisdom from the Holy Spirit to tell you to say something and you don't have it, don't say anything. Just keep it shut. Because what Jesus, what could have happened to him was he could have said, you know what? You're right. The law does say this. Go ahead. And he would have been just as guilty as them. Therefore, rendering him not perfect, imperfect with blemish. He couldn't die on the cross for us. Or he could have said, let her go. My grace is sufficient. Let her go. And he would have broken the law. Again, rendering him imperfect, a sinner. Couldn't die on the cross for us. So he had to think. He had to wait and think about what to say. And then he said it. And you all know what happened. Everybody left. The woman was there, and Jesus says, where are your condemners? And she set her free. If Jesus would have responded out of his emotions, that story would have gone completely different. Because Jesus had emotions, just like us. He was prone to anger. He was prone to, to feeling mad. He was prone to all the emotions we have. 
But he stood still, gave a response, and now we know what the story ends like. If I can have the band come back up. Thank you, Lord. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, the scripture says, This I say, therefore, I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. We dealt with that last week, the blindness of their heart. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. That phrase being past feeling means that they've completely abused the normal use of emotions and they're totally given over to sensuality. There's no rational thinking with them. They just do whatever they feel. That's it. It doesn't matter if it's right or it's wrong. They just, if that's how they feel, that's what I'm going to do. If this is who I feel like I am, this is who I say that I am. If I feel this way, I'm going to do it because I don't care. That's past feeling. You completely misused your feelings. But then he says in verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. In other words, that's not you. You're not like that. If you've indeed heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and in true holiness. You see, there's one point in that scripture that's one of the keys for us to understand. And it says, if we've been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, if you don't know the truth, your emotions are going to try to tell you what the truth is. But if you know the truth, and the truth is only found in Jesus, then it doesn't matter what your emotions tell you. It doesn't matter if you still feel this way, because you know the truth. I mean, you could, your emotions deceive you all the time. I could tell you that Someone you loved just died in a car wreck right now. You have no idea if that's true or not. But the emotion that you're feeling, because of what I just told you, is going to be negative, right? And then you find out the truth that I lied to you and that they're actually not dead and they're well alive. Now you're going to be mad at me. Your emotions always change. Regardless of what truth is, your emotions change. But when you find out what the truth is, it doesn't matter what you feel. You can rest on this. You can rest on the truth. Amen? In Ephesians chapter 1, this is the prayer that Paul prays to the church. This is my prayer for our church, for you. And it says here in verse 17, says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus in Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. That's my prayer to you, that you would know, you would have a revelation knowledge about who he is, 
what he's done for you, who he is in you, and who he's called you to be. When you receive that knowledge, when you know the truth, emotions have to take the back seat. They have to be the caboose of the train, not the engine. They have to be the ones that follow you, not the other way around. Amen? And when you know this, when you know him as the truth is in him, your emotions can tell you all the wrong things, but you can be steady, you can be calm, you can be cool, you can be collected because you know the truth. Amen? Amen?